So here's a great question, and this is a question that I hope gets us all to lean in for the next few weeks, and here's the question. What if you had perfect faith in God? What if you had perfect faith in God? Like, what would your life look like if you had perfect faith in God? And not, and not to get too personal and not to get too maybe pushy too early here, but I, I think for a lot of us, the reason that we have settled for the version of faith that we have is that we know we'll never have perfect faith. So why emphasize and why focus on growing our own faith? But still, here's the question. What if you had perfect faith in God? Like, what would your life look like if you had completely perfect faith in God? What if every moment of your life, you were entirely sure that everything that came your way is part of a divine plan and that someday you'll back, look back and you'll be able to see it? Like, what if you woke up every single day confident that God is with you and that God is for you? Um, what if every time that you came across a rule or a principle in scripture that you don't like, you assume that God has something, that God has your best interest in mind and there's something that you don't understand yet? What if every time temptation came your way, you simply assume, you know what, I'm going to pass on that for what God has for me that is better? Like what if you had perfect faith in God? And here's the thing, the thought of what that could be like, look like, feel like, it's pretty unbelievable, isn't it? It's pretty attractive isn't it? That you're like, think of this. If that was true of your, your, your stress level and your anxiety level, it would go down in an instant because there would be no more leaning on yourself and there would be no more like leaning on your own ability to do as much as you currently do. The amount of mental gymnastics that you wouldn't have to try to try doing to figure out how, you know, how, what today means and what this event means and what tomorrow is going to look like. The, the mental gymnastics that you currently have to do and that you currently work out, like those things would evaporate in an instant. The amount of regret that you wouldn't live with, it would drop in a moment. And, and so the, the question is a great question. What would your life look like if you had perfect faith in God? Because what you're imagining, what you're imagining is very attractive and should make us want to take steps to grow our faith. And that even if we never get perfect, all of us can get better in our faith. All of us can grow our faith and grow our trust in God. Because here's something that Christians believe. Here's something that Christians believe. Humanity's problems all began when we stopped trusting God. Humanity's problems all began when we stopped trusting God. If you go back to the very beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden, what happened? Before they ever ate, they doubted that God had their best interest in mind. They doubted that God knew what was best, that God had what was best, that God had what was best for them. The doubt came before the act of the eating, right? Sin may have broken the relationship, but the relationship had taken a hit the moment their trust in God was broken. And so trust was broken, then the relationship was damaged, and then sin followed. And ever since, and ever since, God has been on a quest to get men and women to re-engage their faith in Him and to re-establish trust in Him. That's why if you're reading the Old Testament, that's why you're reading if the Old Testament, it should feel like over and over and over, God is whispering, trust me, trust me. Trust me, have faith in me, have faith in me. Not just listen to me, not just follow me, not just obey me. That's why, that's why before there was a law, God asked Abram to follow without an endpoint destination. It was a walk of faith. That's why before God gave the nation of Israel the law, he wanted them to experience his work on their behalf. Because this is always supposed to be a thing of trust, a thing of growing faith in God. And then you get to the New Testament and what was the undercurrent um, of an invitation to trust in the Old Testament comes right to the surface. Because at its core, Christianity is an invitation to re-enter a relationship of trust with our Heavenly 
Father. At its core, that's what Christianity is. It's an invitation through the the trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. It's an invitation to re-enter a relationship of trust with our heavenly Father. See, at the cross, sin was forgiven, and we were invited once again not to obey first and foremost, not to understand first and foremost, not to know about first and foremost, but to trust and to have faith in our Heavenly Father. It actually, I and mean, when you think about this, it actually makes perfect sense that, that we begin, that we walk back into a relationship with God by means of trust. Because the relationship fell apart over a lack of trust, the way that we re-enter, the way that we re-walk through the door, it makes perfect sense that this would happen through faith and would happen through trust because that's what God has wanted for us all along. Now, here's two more things when it comes to relationships and when it comes to trust. And it's important to understand these at the outside of the outset of this discussion of growing our faith. Number one is simply this. Intimate relationships are not built on obedience. They are built on trust. Intimate relationships are not built on obedience. They are built on trust. Think of the strongest marriages that you've ever seen. The strongest marriages that you've seen, they're not built on one person obeying another person. They're not built on a a wife obeying a husband or a husband obeying a wife. They're built on trusting the other person. Think of the solid, most solid friendships that you've ever had in your life. They weren't about obedience to each other. They weren't about know, just knowing things about each other. There was a level of trust that developed that you knew they were going to be there for you, that you know knew they would drop every, anything in an instant to be there for you because that's what trust is. You knew you could trust them. Think about you, even your relationships with your kids if you're a parent. The strength of the relationship, you know this, it's not, the strength of the relationship is not determined by whether or not your kids obey you. I mean, we, want, we all want kids that obey us, right? But that's not, that doesn't determine the strength of the relationship. The strength of the relationship is ultimately determined by, do they trust you? Do they know that as a parent, you're there for them? Do they trust that you know what's best for them and have what's best for them? Do they actually obey out of trust or do they, out, you know, if, if they're obeying out of obligation, you can have obedience, but you do not have trust. And so the, the strength of the relationship, the strength of the most intimate relationships that all of us know It's not about obedience. It's not even about knowing everything about another person. It's simply about trust. And here's why that last line is so true. Obedience can be forced, but trust must be earned. Obedience can be forced, but trust is always earned. See, to give an incredibly, I think, an incredibly vivid example of this, I mean, let's be honest, for a lot of us over the last year, this has been our struggle, right? We've been asked to obey health orders made by people or organizations that we have little relationship with. And because we have little relationship with them, we have little built trust. And, and, so, and, and here's what we've all seen, what we've all experienced, and I'm not saying anything about whether or not this is good or bad, but we've just all experienced this, that you can, you can force obedience through citations and through social pressure and messaging and all of that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you can force obedience, but you haven't necessarily built or established trust. And so, and so with, with all of that said, we've, we've kind of figured this out. You, you can force obedience, but you can't force trust. Trust is always earned. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. God could force obedience on us. He could make sure that there would always be immediate pain and consequences anytime we went against anything that God said. But God wants a relationship built on trust, built on faith, built on confidence in Him and confidence in His plans for us and His plans for the world. 
And so with all of that background as we begin today, today I wanted, I wanted to look at one day in the life of Jesus that shows us incre- two incredible um, displays of faith, two incredible displays of faith in, in, in the same day. And we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 8. Uh, this day takes place shortly after Jesus preached maybe his most famous sermon, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll actually begin to unpack a little bit next week. So Matthew chapter 8 begins like this. It tells us this, large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Now, let me just point out, first of all, before we get to anything else, this act took big faith in Jesus. This act took big faith in Jesus for a leper, someone with leprosy, to even think about approaching a large crowd and approaching a figure that he viewed as someone who had religious authority. This man had to believe in a big way because this was a risk. This was a risky behavior. This was a risky thing for someone to do. If he was wrong about Jesus, he could get stoned. And if he was wrong about Jesus, he could infect everyone that was in this very large crowd. Like this was a big act of faith for him to come to Jesus to be healed. So the act took incredible faith, but also notice the language that this man uses at this point. He says, if you are willing, if you are willing. In other words, his faith, his faith is, here's what he's really saying. He's saying, Jesus, I know you can. Jesus, I know you can. I'm not sure if it's your your will. I know you can. My faith in you, my, my faith in you, what I've seen in you, what I've heard about you, I know you can heal me of this leprosy. I know in a moment you have the power, you have the ability, you have the authority of God on your, on, your, on your life to do this. I know you can, but I'm not sure if it's in your will. This is big faith. This is bold faith. This is faith that comes going, God, I know you can. I'm not sure if you will, but I'm going to come to you regardless. See, let me ask you a question. Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? If I'll just say this. If you have never prayed a prayer like this, there's room to grow your faith. This is, the, this is the faith that says, God, I'm not, I, I know you can. This is faith that, you know, God, I'm not, I'm not on the fence going, I'm, I'm not even sure if you can do this. This is faith going, God, I know you can. I'm not sure if you will, but I'm coming to you regardless. So God, I, I, I know you can heal my father in the hospital. I know you can heal my aunt in the hospital. I know you can heal my mother who's dealing with this thing that has her you know, in, in bed rest. I know you can I don't know if you will, but I'm sure, I'm sure coming to you regardless. God, I know you can set the, my, my nephew free from addiction, but I, and I know you can. I'm not sure if you will, but I'm coming to you regardless. God, I know you can provide financially for this situation that seems so desperate. I know you can. I'm not sure if you will, but I'm coming with my trust in you regardless. This is big time faith, big, bold faith that says, God, I know you can. I'm not sure if you will, but the fact that I don't know if you will doesn't mean I'm not going to bring you my request. This is big time faith. It says this in verse three, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing. I am willing, he said. Be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this, which is funny. Jesus said, don't tell anyone about this, which was ridiculous. Jesus had a large crowd following him. Plenty of people saw this and knew exactly what was happening. We'll be talking about it for years to come. But then Jesus said this. He said, instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. This is just a side note here. Your faith is your faith, but your faith can inspire faith in others. 
Your faith is your faith, but your faith can inspire faith in others. Jesus told him not to tell anyone, but then Jesus told him to go show himself to people who would tell everyone, people who could verify his healing and would tell everyone. See, it's amazing. When you think about it, Jesus had just required something, like Jesus had just healed this man and and set him free from something that had bound him for maybe, for months, maybe years. We don't know how long this man had experienced leprosy. Jesus healed the man, but then Jesus requires something from the man. Jesus heals the man and then requires something. He says, like, look, I've set you free, and now I want you to go show the priest who will tell everyone. I don't want this just to be a me and you thing. I don't want this to be a me and you and the people who are here thing. This is something that I want to use to spread my message, to spread my authority, to spread my fame, to spread my acclaim, so that people will know that they can believe in me down the road. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing that we have to understand. Your faith is personal, but it's not meant to stay private. Your faith is personal, but it's not meant to stay private. There's something about our faith that requires that what Jesus has done in us, that we actually would share it with others, that we would talk about it and show it and proclaim it and use our social media feeds and use whatever methods that we have to talk about what Jesus has done in our lives because our faith, while it's personal, is not meant to stay private. Your faith, your big, growing, audacious faith is meant to overflow to help others see and know and experience God. The story goes on. Here's the second example of things that happen in this story. Here's the second act of audacious, big, 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 big faith. It says this in verse 5, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. Again, as before, this takes an incredible, incredible amount of faith and belief in Jesus for this man to even come because this man isn't a good Hebrew boy who has spent his whole, whole life following the Torah and studying the Hebrew scriptures and focused on being clean according to Jewish customs and policies and procedures and religion. This is not that guy. This is a man who was a foreigner This was a military occupant. This was someone who is only in Israel to oppress the Israelite people and enforce Roman rule. He did not care about Hebrew scripture. He did not care about Old Testament law. He did not care about hygiene standards keeping him clean. He didn't know any of that or care about any of that. He is coming knowing that based on who he is, based on who he is, this should be a quick no from a religious leader like Jesus. But He trusts that not only does Jesus have the power and the ability to do this, but he trusts that Jesus is good, that Jesus is good enough to do for him what he does not deserve to have done for him. Again, this is big faith. This is audacious, bold faith. Coming to Jesus, knowing that you do not deserve, but believing that Jesus is so good that he would do for you what you don't deserve. Here's what happens. Verse 7 says, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. You're like, bingo. Look, Jesus is good. Jesus is willing to come and heal him. But then we're told this in verse 8. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this, he said, because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this type of faith? Can you imagine this type of faith while Jesus is walking the earth? I mean, if if I'm in this guy's shoes and Jesus offers to come, even if I believe that he can 
that he can heal my servant or heal my, you know, from, from afar. They can heal just with a word from a distance. Even if I believe that, if Jesus offers to come, I'm like, hey, you know what? Why don't, why don't you come? Like, maybe this is one of those things where you, you, you could, but, you're, but for this one, you're going to need to be in the room. You're going to need to lay hands. Maybe it's going to be one of those things where you have to make some mud with your spit and put it on. Like, who, who knows what this is? Like, but yeah, come, but come, come with me, come with me. But this man has such faith, such faith in Jesus. He says, no, just just, just say the word. Just say the word. And ultimately what he does is he's recognizing Jesus as an authority. He's recognized the goodness of Jesus, but he also recognizes that Jesus is the authority. And he, he unpacks why he understands authority and how he understands authority. He says, look, you know, I, like I've been in my, my entire adult life, I've been in the Roman army. Like I understand that when, when a superior officer over me, when a, when, when a officer in command over me says something, I do it. I carry him out, out immediately, that the, that the commander's orders are carried out immediately. I understand how that works. And then he says, and so I also understand that I have people under, under my authority, and when I give a command, it is their responsibility to carry it out immediately. And he looks to Jesus, he says, Jesus, I believe that you have that kind of authority. And I believe that that kind of authority, it didn't come from a Roman army. It didn't come from Rome. It didn't come from Jerusalem. It didn't come from someone more powerful than you, you know, say on earth saying that you have authority. It simply came from heaven. And so I believe you have that kind of authority. And so I'm placing my trust in that. So if you say the word, it will be carried out because that's the kind of authority you have. He recognized that Jesus had real authority, and he leaned his life and his servant's life on that authority. Now, then we're told something that we're not, that we're not told ever again in the Gospels, and this is such an amazing thing, and this is why I wanted to read this specific passage as we started today. Here's what it says. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. If you're watching online right now, would you just go ahead and type amazed in the, in the space bar, in the comment bar, in the chat bar. He was amazed. Jesus was amazed at this man's faith. Turning to those who were following, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Let me read it one more time. When Jesus heard this, in response to this man's faith, this man recognizing his authority, recognizing his goodness, coming knowing that Jesus should not do what he's asking because he doesn't deserve it, but knowing that Jesus is good, so he may just do what is not deserved, and recognizing his authority, Jesus said, Jesus was amazed. And he said, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. There's this interesting word that's used here, and it's only used in, in relationship to Jesus this one time in all four Gospels. And it's, it's, it's in the Greek, it's the word kwamazo, kwamazo, kwamazo. To, to understand it from the Greek, here's, what, here's how it translates. It was marveled, be astonished, or to be extraordinarily impressed by. This word that's used to describe Jesus says he marveled at the man's faith. He was astonished by the man's faith. He was extraordinarily impressed by the man's faith. This word is only used right here in relationship to Jesus in the Gospels. And here's what I think is so important for us to understand. Jesus was only once ever amazed. And it was not in response to someone's obedience. It was not in response to someone's Hebrew knowledge. It was not in response to someone's biblical knowledge. It was not in, in, in response to someone finally understanding him. It was in response to one man's faith and one man's trust. That Jesus was amazed by 
faith. Jesus was amazed by big, huge, audacious faith. By faith that says, I'm not, I know you can, I'm not sure if you will. And by faith that says, I, I, I know you can, and even though I don't deserve, I place my trust in your goodness and your authority, that that was big, huge, audacious faith. And here's what I want us to understand as we begin this conversation about growing our faith and why I think it's so important for you to have big faith in your relationship with God. Here's what I would say this, is simply this, that God is most honored through our living, active, deep, abiding trust in him. God is most honored by our deep, abiding, living, active trust in him. That when we place our trust in God, that's when God looks at us and goes, ah, they've finally got it. When, when, when we live out a deep faith, when we love, live out an active faith, when we live out our faith, when we have a faith that lasts and lasts through the storms of life, when we actually live out and live out that way in response to our faith and our, have grown a faith that lives like that, that's when God looks at us and goes, that's where I receive the most glory. That's where I receive the most praise. That's where I understand and look at you and go, they have finally gotten the relationship that I have wanted for them all along. A relationship that is not just built on obedience, a relationship that is not just built on knowledge, but that is actually built on trust. That's the relationship God wants for you. And that's the relationship God wants for me. And that's why it's so important to grow our faith in God. And so for some of us, for some of us, as we talk about this over the next few weeks, this is going to sound a little bit, a little bit challenging, but for some of us, we need a little bit different definition of spiritual growth. And so here's the definition of spiritual growth that I want us to use and to embrace for the next few weeks. Here it is. Spiritual growth is growing in our faith and confidence in God. Spiritual growth is growing in our faith and confidence in God. Spiritual growth is not primarily about getting smarter or more obedient, although those are great byproducts of the real goal. Spiritual growth is primarily about growing in our trust in God, which involves but is not limited to learning more about who he is and living it out. It's not, it's not just about obedience. It's not just about knowledge. It's about trust, which should lead us to obedience, which should lead us to want to know more about God. That's why these are byproducts of the most important thing. See, Bible knowledge alone, this is why this is important to understand and this is important to define. Bible knowledge alone often makes you proud. Obedience alone often makes you judgmental and legalistic. Trust makes you dependent on God. And that is where God wants you and I to be all along. So God is at work in all of us to grow our faith, but we have a responsibility in how our faith develops and to stay connected to the things that do the most good to grow our faith. And so here's the thing, about 20 years ago, uh, 20 years ago a group of about 200 church leaders got together um, and, and they were in a room and they had a bunch of conversations about faith and about church leadership and about ministry and leadership and about all that kind of stuff. And at one point, there was a question asked by the person who was running the room and running the discussion and running the event. And they asked this question. They said, what are the things, what are the things that throughout your life, what are the things in your life that God has used to most grow your faith? What are the things that God has used most to grow your faith? They were asked to write down anything over the course of their life that God had used to grow their faith and trust in him. And the answers were collected and gathered and they were all every answer that was given was placed on this gigantic whiteboard in the room every single answer and then and then the person running the room asked another question he said does anyone see any patterns starting to emerge does anyone see any patterns starting to emerge and there were definitely some patterns that were emerging there were some categories 
that were emerging. And there were a few outliers, things that were very specific to only one or two people, you know, that, you know, it was like, oh, this happened, this happened, this happened, that grew my faith, whatever. You know, one or two people in there. But very quickly, a picture began to show that consistently across different backgrounds, across different upbringings, across racial lines, across different denominational traditions, there were five things, there were five categories of things that God had used to grow these people's faith. Not a list found in the Bible. So if you're thinking, like, oh, can I turn to a passage and find this list? You won't find this list in the Bible. But there's seriously, there's throughout Scripture, there's evidence that each of these things are things that God uses to grow faith and grow trust in Him. And so today, I'm going to share the list, and then we'll pick it up next week to start talking about how we can leverage these things to consistently grow our faith and our trust and our confidence in God. And so here's the list for us today. The list is, is practical teaching private disciplines, providential relationships, pivotal circumstances, and personal ministry. And if you're wondering, yes, the person who was running the room was a Baptist. That's why these all start with the same letter. It was a nice alliteration. It was practical teaching, private disciplines, providential relationships, pivotal circumstances, and personal ministry. Let me just unpack just for a tiny bit what each of those can look like. Practical teaching means that when someone opens up scripture in a way where we know what to do as a result of what you have heard, it was all connected to a real, and it's all connected to the relationship of trust that we're supposed to have. This is a big deal that people often grow and sometimes grow the most in their lives when they get around practical teaching of the Bible. The second one, private disciplines. That when faith moved from a Sunday morning type of thing, when faith moved from a Sunday experience type of thing to a Monday reading the scripture for myself, to a Tuesday spending time in prayer for myself, to Wednesday understanding what it is to give of, of, my, of my time and of my resources so that other people can know God. Like That when we actually get those private disciplines, the private disciplines have a major effect that when we're not doing it for the, for the applause of someone else, but doing it for the reward from God on a daily basis in our own lives. A providential relationship is that thing that at just the right time or consistently over time, God uses a person to speak, you, to speak to you through someone to encourage you, to challenge you, to confront you at just the right time or at just you know consistently over time. God knew exactly the person that you needed in your life. It was as if God sent that person into your life. It's a providential relationship. For many people, there's there's a pivotal circumstances that good or bad circumstances where life seemingly turns on a dime, good or bad, the circumstances force us to look at God and to look to God for guidance. And when God shows up in the middle of a, of, of a pivotal circumstances, our faith in God grows big time. And then the final one of personal ministry, that when you step out in faith and when God does work through you, you experience God's power at work in your life and through your life. See, these are the five things that God consistently uses to grow our faith. And we're going to start unwrapping them next week to see how we can leverage them to keep our faith growing and growing over the course of a lifetime. But here's why this is so important. Here's why this is so important. Just like your faith doesn't grow all at once, faith doesn't shrink all at once. It happens as we drift from the things that we need to stay connected to. See, when we allow ourselves to drift from practical teaching or let our discipline slack or distance ourselves from relationships or find ourselves too busy to serve, what's at stake is not only our behavior, it's our faith, it's our trust, it's our trust in God. And when you stop doing the things that grow your faith, your faith doesn't stay the same. Your faith begins to wither and begins to weaken. And so if you want to, your faith to grow and if you want your faith to strengthen, you need to pay attention to these things and know how to leverage them in order to consistently, over the course of a lifetime, keep your faith going and keep your faith 
growing. And here's the other part that I think we need to pay attention to. There's some of those that when you hear those, you can instantly think of ways that God has used across your life to grow your faith in Him. For some of us, there's some of those things that we easily like, oh yes, I can definitely, I, I know, I, like I know God's used that in my life. I know God's used in my life. And there's some of those that come really easily and naturally within our personality. If you're a person who likes to sit and hear teaching, that one might come really easy for you. If you're a person who loves to serve, it's very easy to think that God has used that to grow you. But here's the thing I also know. For some of us, we hear some of those and there's some of those that we don't really like. There's some of those where our personality rubs up against it. And, 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 and maybe we naturally resist some of the things that God may want to use to grow our faith. And, I, and today, as, as we kind of begin to draw to a close, I want to encourage you and maybe challenge you with this thought. Here's all I want to say. Chances are pretty good that God wants to use the things that you don't like just as much as he wants to use the things that you like. Chances are God may want to use the things that you fight just as much as you as much as he wants to use the things that you naturally embrace. And so for these five things, maybe, maybe, just maybe, there's some areas where God wants to grow you, where you have fought and you've resisted with the very things that God wants to most use to grow your faith. So again, as we close today, here's the question. Here's the question that closes this message but begins the series. What if you had perfect faith in God? How, how attractive would your life be to you? How attractive would your life be to others to have stress and anxiety gone because every day you wake up absolutely confident in God? How, what would it look to, to face temptation knowing that on the other side of this temptation, there is goodness from God and so it's easy to bypass whatever it is you're currently tempted by to run after what God has and to receive what God has on the other side? What, like, what, like, just imagine that kind of confidence and that kind of faith and that kind of trust in God. That can be the faith that you have. That can be the trust that you have if you're willing to embrace the things that God wants to use to grow your faith because that's the type of faith that God has wanted for you and God has wanted for me all along. So over the next five weeks, let's lean in to the things that God wants to use to grow our faith. Let's lean in to learn how we can leverage and, and apply the things that God wants to use in our lives to grow our faith in Him so that our faith actually can continue over these weeks and over our lifetime to grow our faith in God, so we can have a faith that's growing every single day of our lives. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much that, that you are good. We, we thank you, God, that you're good. Thank you that Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross so that we could have an opportunity to re-enter into a relationship of trust and a relationship of faith in you. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for raising from the dead for us so that we could have new life and new hope and a, and a new beginning with our Heavenly Father. And God, today, I just simply pray as we begin to talk about these things, help us to grow our trust and our faith in you. Help us to grow our knowledge of you so that we, will, that we can trust you more. Help us to be willing to trust you enough to be obedient in the things that maybe sometimes we don't want to be obedient in, ultimately because we trust in you. And so God, I simply pray today that you would help us to understand and know in these next few weeks what it is that you want from us. Because what you want from us is big faith and big trust, and living faith, and living trust, and deep faith, and deep trust, and abiding faith, and abiding trust in you. Because God, that's where you receive the most honor. That's where you receive the most, most glory. That's where you understand that we are living the way that you want us to live because it's in response to who you are and what you've done for us. So God, help us to grow our trust in you. Help us to grow our faith in you. Help us to be dedicated to doing this so that we never lose sight of who you are and what you've done in our lives, and how you want us to live out our faith, and walk out our trust in you. God, we love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.